Tom Sowell owns and operates a palm harvesting company in Astor, Florida. It's a little place sort of on the St. John's River between Ormond Beach and Ocala, Florida. It's in the middle of nowhere, actually. (laughs) Tom is usually on the lookout for hurricanes that could cause flooding that would affect his palm harvest. Like two years ago, we had a couple of hurricanes. Well, there's areas that we could not get into. The palms were just landlocked with water that was, you know, six, eight feet deep. But this year, there were no hurricanes, no flooding. This year was excellent. Tom typically receives orders for palms for Palm Sunday as early as January. Most of the church goods dealers that we are associated with try to get their order for their palms when they're contacting the individual parishes for the ash, for Ash Wednesday. Last year, Tom and his team harvested about 43,000 palm buds to fulfill their orders. This year, they harvested about the same. We had harvested the palms, and we're pretty good about it. We usually try to get enough harvested that we have more than we need. Then, the coronavirus began to spread in the United States. By March, public masses across the country were canceled. Churches closed. And a lot of orders for palms were canceled. Last year, Tom's company shipped nearly 4.3 million individual palms. This year, he shipped closer to 2 million palms because of the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's, uh, about half of what we did last year. So here we are with an incredible amount of palms left over that were, you know, scheduled to be prepared and and shipped. But with the cutoffs like they were because of the churches being closed, we just lost that. Tom is one of millions affected in one way or another by the coronavirus pandemic this Palm Sunday. Public masses were canceled through Holy Week There was no general distribution of palms for fear of spreading the virus. Some parishes got creative, setting up drive-thrus or remote pickups for Catholics to still have blessed palms. But other parishes just canceled their orders for palms because the fear of spreading the virus was too great. In this episode, we're going to hear more from Tom about the process of harvesting palms and the impact of the coronavirus on his palm harvesting business. Then we'll talk with a priest in Maine who came up with a creative alternative to palms for this year's Palm Sunday. And finally, our producer, Jonah McKeown, will talk about the Palm Sunday Mass he attended in a different time and the powerful ministry behind it. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief from my basement office, J.D. Flynn. Tom has lived in Astor, Florida his entire life, and he remembers palm harvest season making an impression on him even when he was a kid. The men around the area went out in the spring and they got the the palm, and I never knew what it was used for. I just went along with them, and and as time went by and I got older, I I started going out and getting the palm and selling it to a local man, and I still had no clue what he did with it. It just went like that up until about uh, 15 years ago. Tom isn't Catholic. He was raised a Protestant, and get this, his own church where he grew up never used palms in its own celebration of Palm Sunday. And then 15 years ago, I started trying to learn 
more about the palm, what was actually done with it, where it went, just more about a curiosity than anything. For years, Tom harvested palms and sold them to wholesale florists. Then, in 2008, he had a, a chance meeting with a church goods dealer who happened to be on vacation in Florida. The man gave Tom a lot of practical advice about the business of supplying palms for worship. The two decided to start a partnership. After I met with this man, we started preparing the palm and doing the palm strips. The process of harvesting palm branches takes two to three months. The majority of orders for palms are placed in January, around the same time that Tom's company takes orders for Ash Wednesday ashes. Tom produces those ashes each year by drying and burning leftover palms from the year before. Once Tom and his team figure out how many palms they'll need, they start to harvest. When it's first harvested, the palm looks very different from what we receive on Palm Sunday. The palm is harvested as a bud fan. It's the frond before it actually unfurls and turns green. It's the closed palm. Tom and his team cut the palm buds and tie them into bundles. For some of Tom's customers, that's where the processing stops. But processing continues for most of Tom's orders. The palm buds are brought into a warehouse Tom leases for several months out of the year. The buds are, are brought in, then we cut the individual strips to length. Each bud produces between 20 and 30 individual palms. And then there's an army of people, families, that'll clean those. The palms are covered at this stage in what Tom described as stringy pieces. It sounds kind of similar to the silk you can find on corn on the cob. So what we do is our very best to remove all of that and uh, anything that may be on the palm that from out in the forests and in woods. Like fungus or bacteria. Once they're cleaned, the palms are counted and packaged into groups of 100 and stored in refrigerated semi-trailers. And you can't just store it sitting out. <laughs> I mean, it's 80 degrees every day now, and you can't leave this stuff sitting out, especially packaged in plastic, because it'll sweat and it'll develop molds and fungus. So we have to keep it refrigerated to protect it and to maintain its, its fresh quality. So when we ship it to the customers, they have something nice. We try to make everything as good when they use it on Palm Sunday as it is the day we, we take it off the tree and clean it. Last year, Tom's company harvested, cleaned, and shipped nearly 4.3 million individual palms. Now, keep in mind, five years ago, six years ago, I couldn't comprehend a million. And I still have problems with that number because it's just so many. But by the grace of God, and I mean that, we get it done. Tom said it's a neighborhood effort. There's local families that are involved, and they have relatives that pick tomatoes and, and work in fields. And they'll have a break for a couple of weeks between harvests or crops or whatever. And, and they'll come stay with their families and, and uh, help do this. The palms usually ship out two or three weeks before Palm Sunday. We shoot for everything to be delivered no later than the Tuesday before Palm Sunday. This year, of course, the coronavirus changed everything. We had an incredible number of, of cancellations up until two weeks ago. For us to be efficient in what we do, we have to get these palms all prepared and store them in a cooler. Each individual order is packed. It's put back into the cooler. Then it comes out <laughs> and it gets labeled. 
This all takes place about two weeks before shipping, or three weeks before Palm Sunday, which sounds like a long time. But with palms, palms are incredibly durable. However, that being said, when we ship those palms, the majority of them have reached a point to where they're only going to be good for another 10 days to two weeks. And it's a delicate balancing act that we have to do to get all the palms prepared, ready, packaged, and then labeled for timely delivery. Now, what happened is we had harvested the palms, and we're pretty good about it. We usually try to get enough harvested that we have more than we need. Then we had cutoffs. So here we are with an incredible amount of palms left over that were you know, scheduled to be prepared and, and shipped. But with the cutoffs like they were because of the churches being closed, we just lost that. Some two million individual palms are still in Florida with Tom. And some of the two million palms that Tom shipped out already have been returned. With the virus and so many UPS employees not being on the job, it's just interrupted deliveries and it's interrupted a lot of UPS uh, operations. And it made some of our boxes get returned where the customers actually wanted the palms. Usually, Tom dries and burns leftover palms to make ash for Ash Wednesday. But Tom said he already has enough ash to last him eight or ten years. It doesn't go bad, but there really is no point in continuing to make ash when we have that much. So the millions of leftover palms this year will be carried back to the areas where they were harvested and scattered on the ground. They're not packaged. They don't have any foreign man-made material in with them. They're just like they were when they were harvested, except now they're getting old and deteriorating. So we'll just take them out and spend a few days to drive through the areas where they came from and just scatter them back out again. For Tom, the impact of the coronavirus has been hard to swallow. This is in part because the virus hasn't really made its way to Tom's community yet. He says he feels a little bit disconnected from it. It's hard to grasp what's going on globally. 18 miles one direction, there's three confirmed cases of the virus, and then about the same distance away the other way, there's five confirmed cases. But as far as this this little neighborhood, there's been no confirmed cases of it. On the other hand, it's affecting, you know, naturally everybody. Everybody's afraid, I'll put it that way. Every Everyone is, is scared. The palm harvesting business is hard work. And the coronavirus is just the latest challenge Tom has faced. Not many people, not many companies do what we do. I know that there have been, in the past, say, 50 years, there's been, a, there's been quite a few other companies embark upon this, but for whatever reason, they just couldn't, they, they couldn't hang in there with it. It's, a, it's, it's really difficult. But Tom said he is staying hopeful. There's no way that anything like this could be just commonplace and, and coincidental. It's, it's a blessing. It's, it's from God, and, and there's no doubt about it. Thank you.
After the break, a priest in Maine was worried about distributing blessed palms to his parishioners. He didn't want to contribute to the spread of the coronavirus. So he got creative. Stay with us. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. On Mondays, we listen to CNA Newsroom. My name is Carl Bunderson. I'm managing editor at Catholic News Agency. If you're listening to this right now, there's a 30% chance you're already subscribed to CNA Newsroom. It's like I have ESPN or something. But if you're not subscribed to CNA Newsroom, you can't sit with us. CNA Newsroom is available on every podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Search for CNA Newsroom and tap the subscribe button. And while you're at it, leave us a rating and a review. We're not like a regular podcast. We're a cool podcast. Now back to the show. Father Louis Phillips was pretty disappointed when he heard that public masses in his diocese of Portland in Maine would be canceled through Holy Week. But he quickly got to work on adapting the various rites of Holy Week. Which are in themselves, they're beautiful and elaborate and um, very meaningful uh, rites, but we can't just go about it as normal because nothing's normal right now. Each of the days of the Triduum pose special challenges. And I guess backing up to Palm Sunday, the only real challenge is blessing the palms. Father Lewis received his shipment of palms the week before Palm Sunday. However, we won't be able to distribute them this year uh, because, again, of the, you know, the CDC guidelines and uh, just, just really don't want to put anybody in jeopardy through extra handling of things like, you know, like, like the palms. You know, I'm thinking about how people are going to miss that connection of actually having palms, you know, that they can go to church and the palms are blessed and then they bring the palms home with them. A lot of people will place uh, a palm branch uh, behind their wall crucifix or perhaps uh, kind of tuck it in behind a, a religious uh, piece of art. Something, something, again, you know, something that, that, that they will see on occasion and just kind of bring back the memories of, uh, of what we are celebrating and what we are remembering uh, in, these, in these days ahead. The other day, Father Lewis called up a couple of his friends and fellow Mainers who are stuck in Florida because of travel advisories. When I got off the phone with them, I thought, gee, they're, you know, they're kind of fortunate because they can just kind of go right outside and there's plenty of palm trees in, in Florida. And, uh, you know, it might not be blessed, but you can still, you know, you can still bring that in and into your house and it still serves the same purpose. Uh, I said, well, too bad because... As far as I know, we don't have any palm trees in uh, in Maine. I've never seen one. So, uh, and then and I got the thing. And I was looking outside and thinking, but we do have plenty of pine trees. Maine is, in fact, known as the pine tree state. Then Father Lewis got to thinking about Christ's entry into Jerusalem all those years ago. What they were doing, in essence, was laying out the red carpet for him. Of course, it wasn't a real red carpet, <laughs> but what they used is what they had. They had plenty of palm uh, trees, so they cut down branches and made a carpet of branches for him. And then, of course, you know, waved the branches uh, in welcome as, as he came through. So 
just as the people of Jesus, they used what they had, what they had at hand, uh, thinking, well, we can really do the same thing. And what we have at hand here is plenty of pine trees. And that was the beginning of Pine Sunday. In lieu of distributing palms, Father Lewis has encouraged his parishioners to go out into their backyards and clip some branches from a pine tree. The pine branches won't be blessed, but Father Lewis said they can serve the same purpose as palms. They can serve as a reminder of Holy Week. Maybe those pine branches uh, could connect us. uh, Connect us really not only uh, with the events of Holy Week, but connect us with one another. If we kind of do this collectively, even though we're all kind of separated, we are separated physically, um, uh, there's something to be said when Still, we come together to pray together and uh, celebrate our faith together through this simple thing. I think um, this will be a holy week that none of us will forget, but that might just bring to mind uh, the blessings and and the challenges uh, that we're we're facing today. And maybe when we look back on it in retrospect in months to come, we'll find uh, we'll find some some meaning in it all. Father Lewis said he hopes this is the last Pine Sunday, but pines do hold some advantages over traditional palms. Palms, uh, they they kind of shrivel up uh, in a in, you know in a week or two, and uh, even though you know even though you can have them year round, they they pretty much dry up. Um, pine branches last a lot longer, so um, that's maybe the silver lining in the whole thing. I think yeah, the uh, the uh, pine branches will that will last at least until Christmas time, and uh, which is a perfect time to add more, I suppose. So then, of course, there's the scent of pine. Yes, yeah, yeah. Palms don't really have any any kind of uh, uh, smell to them at all. So uh, yeah, yeah. Father Lewis did receive his typical shipment of palm branches. He said it was too late to cancel his order. He plans on using the palms to decorate the church for the live-streamed Mass. But he'll also add some pine branches to the decorations, in solidarity with his parishioners watching from home. Hopefully uh, people understand that, you know, this is not like broadcasting a Mass for entertainment. (laughs) It's, It's really... It's really to in- invite everyone to participate, to actively pray with one another, albeit physically separated, but certainly not spiritually. So I'm, in that sense, I'm looking forward to it. I'll also be looking forward to getting back to normal. <laughs> so just as soon as possible, that'll be wonderful. <laughs> For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Oliveira. Almost exactly two years ago, I spent Palm Sunday at a parish outside Washington, D.C. in Landover Hills, Maryland. In many ways, it was probably pretty much like a Palm Sunday at any parish. Before Mass started, everyone gathered in the parish hall to get their palm branches and prepare for the procession around the church and into the sanctuary. The parish regulars chatted and socialized and greeted each other warmly. Dear brothers and sisters, since the beginning of Lent until now, we have prepared our hearts through penance and charitable works. The procession around the church was a bit quieter than most, 
with the rustling of the palms themselves as the only real sound to speak of. When we entered the sanctuary of St. Francis of Assisi Deaf Catholic Church, I noticed that the church itself was decorated with palms. Not palms the plant, although there were many of those. The wall behind the altar had artwork depicting hands, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, each one signing something different, and each one bearing a hole in the center that clued you in immediately that these were Christ's hands. Graciously grant that we may pay attention even more to the lesson of Jesus's patient suffering and to merit a share in Jesus's resurrection. The Mass, celebrated entirely in American Sign Language, was beautiful and reverent. Each one of the lectures presented their reading with an interpreter speaking the words for the benefit of the few hearing people that were present. Father Frank Wright, a hearing priest, said the prayers while signing them. I had been to Masses with a sign language interpreter before, but this was the first time I had been to Mass celebrated entirely in sign language. It was the first time in my life where I saw through the hands of the priest God communicating with me. And that was such a profound experience for me. Because sign language is a gift from God. And it's great when people can use that. We spoke with Father Sean Carey, who's the director of the Archdiocese of Boston's Deaf Catholic Ministry. Here's Father Sean speaking with the help of an interpreter, Jenny Corbin. I think that for me as a deaf priest, it is really beneficial um, for me to be able to minister to people who are deaf because we have a, a similar background and shared experiences of struggles growing up and what that's like. That you know, A lot in common that people who are not deaf wouldn't necessarily understand. Father Sean grew up in the Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts, and went to Providence College. There, he enjoyed going to Mass in the evenings with his friends, several of whom helped him to participate. I had friends that I went to Mass with who were hearing, and they would kind of help interpret the Mass for me. You know, there wasn't professional interpreters that were available, but, you know, my friends would help me out and interpret the Mass for me into sign language. So that was a good experience. I was working in Boston. I found out that there was a church for deaf Catholics that was near Boston. So I decided to try it out and go there. This was Ash Wednesday, 2001. Father Sean assumed that it would be a regular mass with a sign language interpreter at the front for him to look at, but he was wrong. When I went to the church, I found out that it was the priest himself who was signing, and that was a complete shocker. So it was the first time in my life where I saw through the hands of the priest God communicating with me. So that was how I became involved with the Boston Deaf Catholic community, was through that first encounter on Ash Wednesday with the signing priest. He became a lector and a Eucharistic minister, and various people began to ask him if he had ever considered the priesthood. And I said, oh, did, you, did they pay you to say that? <laughs> and he's looking at me going, no, I just thought it. <laughs> So I decided to meet with the spiritual director and, uh, you know, sort through the issue and discern a little more. 
He was volunteering at a nursing home for the deaf in Boston and befriended an elderly lady named Mary. One day, you know, she looked at me and she said, oh, you'd be a good priest. You should become a priest. And I would always say, no, 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 no. (laughs) So I remember going to visit her as she was close to her death. And she looked at me and she said, Sean, you will make a great priest. And then she passed away. And it was just such a moment, like her last words of her life were telling me that I would make a great priest. And obviously, at that moment, God was communicating through her and trying to get through to me. Father Sean attended St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. His first assignment as a priest was at a hearing parish in Hopkinton, Massachusetts. Just a reminder that these are Father Sean's words spoken through the interpreter. And so when I celebrated the Mass in Sign Language, I had a voice interpreter there, and um, people really appreciated it. They really loved having access to the Mass in that language and seeing it come alive. And they appreciated me for who I am, and I felt like it didn't matter, you know, if I was deaf or hearing. People really just saw me for who I was, and they appreciated me. Uh, And it's true that we are all parts of the the body of Christ. We're all members, you know, we're all brothers and sisters together. So it doesn't matter who you are or what gifts you have to bring to the table. It was a beautiful thing to see that, you know, in the parish. Um, You know, and then um, it is important to have specialized ministries and to minister to people who are deaf because, of course, people who are deaf have their own culture and their own language and their own skill sets that they bring. Father Sean has been the director of the Deaf Apostolate in Boston for the past six years. He's also a parochial vicar, and last year he got to celebrate the Triduum Masses in sign language. That was the first time that we had the Triduum that I celebrated by myself. Because of the fact that there are two parishes in the collaborative, and the pastor needed to be at one and I needed to be at the other, it was very cool because we were able to make it really deaf-friendly. And, you know, we had deaf lectors and we had other people. So it was really like a bilingual mass experience and it was so beautiful. Although many more options exist today for deaf Catholics than in the past, there are still many challenges. One of the biggest is simply the problem of limited resources. That presents a barrier and an obstacle for accessing religious education in the church. Because hearing communities have so many resources available to them. Educational video materials are a great resource, he said, as long as they provide captions. People who aren't entirely deaf aren't the only ones who will benefit from more captions, he said. If you're going to make a video, you have to have access for closed captioning for people who can understand, even if it's an older person who's losing their hearing. Having closed captioning can benefit many different groups of people. One of the biggest things, Father Sean said, is simply a lack of sign language interpreters at Mass. So I've noticed all over the U.S., um, it seems like there is uh, limited access for interpreters at Mass. There's not enough um, interpreters who do that. And people, deaf Catholics, tend to feel isolated. So that's definitely a, a challenge as well. So I hope to improve that. I hope to work on uh, making more resources available and also more interpreters available. One of his favorite memories working with the deaf ministry was leading a group of deaf Catholics on pilgrimage for World Youth Day in Krakow. I think that it is always good to see God's grace at work. That God's grace can become present, um, you know, through my service. It's great for me to be able to bring God to people. 
it's a joy to be able to serve people in that way. And I also want the deaf Catholic community to feel empowered that they can have a relationship with Christ. They can do this. It's not an environment of exclusion. It's not to say that if you're deaf, you cannot be part of the body of Christ. You know, and I think that is my gift from God, the empowerment of teaching them that you are a member of the body of Christ. You do belong. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. That is our show, everybody. I recorded this podcast in my basement, so if it sounds like a basement, I mean, hey, what can I do? It's the coronavirus pandemic, everybody. Have a great week. Have a blessed Holy Week. Thank you for staying with us, for listening to us, and for supporting us. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Oliveira and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. And remember, if you see the Easter Bunny, stay six feet away. Happy Holy Week, everybody. Mm -hmm.